we would just direct our investors to go to Amazon, read the customer reviews, which are authentic, and then just see, you know, what people like about us. And then they realized that, you know, people were hungry for something that's organic, natural, but that worked really well, which was what we were offering at that time. So, you know, um, after reading these reviews, you know, a lot of investors truly believed that there was something about this business and our product, you know, that made us very special and then gave us an opportunity, a chance. Feminine care brand, Rael, was founded in 2017 by three women originally from South Korea, including CEO Yang Hee Paik. Upon moving to the United States, one of the biggest culture shocks for her and her co-founders was the lack of quality feminine care. Most of the pads and tampons in the U.S. contained harsh chemicals that could irritate skin or were made of natural ingredients but didn't work. Inspired to capture the comfort and performance they knew was possible, the trio created their own solution by marrying high-quality organic materials from the U.S. and cutting-edge Korean manufacturing technology to provide clean and incredibly effective self-care alternatives to support women throughout their cycle and life. Coming up, Yang Yi shares how her initial dream of pursuing a career in entertainment transformed into launching a holistic feminine care brand. The importance of distinct roles and responsibilities when co-founding a company. She shares top talent interview questions when launching a startup. The evolution of Rael's packaging journey. And finally, she shares a behind the scenes look at how Rael entered large retailers. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Yangi, I am so excited to sit down and hear all about your entrepreneurista journey and story. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Not really. I call myself an accidental entrepreneur, to be honest. I have a business major. I mean, I was a business major. I have an MBA. So I always knew I wanted to be a businesswoman, but being an entrepreneur sounded really daunting to me. So before I started Rael, uh, I never knew that I was going to get into a feminine care industry and also being an entrepreneur. What were you doing prior to starting your business? So um, I have a pretty international background. So um, I was born in Korea. I moved around quite a bit growing up. So I lived in Paris when I was little. I lived in New Jersey when I was in high school. Then my family moved back to Korea. I went to college there. I was a management consultant. And it was my dream, actually, at age 26 to come back to the U.S. to pursue an MBA and then my American dream. So I got my MBA and then moved to L.A., hoping to get into entertainment. So to be very open with you, um, I had a huge passion for entertainment business back then. And uh, growing up in Korea, I watched like K-pop, Korean drama, Korean entertainment and thought after I learned from the best practice in Hollywood, then I could revolutionize Korean entertainment business and then 
bring the Korean content to the U.S. and to the global audience. So that was actually my dream before starting Rael. And uh, I was lucky enough to get into uh, Walt Disney Studios after doing consulting for a couple of years after my MBA. So I started as a strategist working on distribution partnership strategy at Disney. And then I was on the sales team selling Disney movies to uh, Apple, Google, uh, different types of uh, global media companies, which was a lot of fun. So that was my previous world and job and had nothing to do with beauty and actually feminine care. Well, you're talking to a big Disney fan over here. So I have so many questions for you about that, but we can have a whole separate conversation about Disney one day. I want to hear how did the idea for your business come to be? Was it when you were working at Disney? Yeah, so I was a movie distributor for a long time, almost eight years. And um, life is so interesting because, you know, when I went to Hollywood, got this job, I thought I had my dream job. This was the reason why I came to the U.S. and left my home and family behind. I thought I was going to retire from Disney. But then after spending about seven and a half years, you know, you start wondering what your next steps should be, whether I should stay there or pursue another dream or, you know, job. And one day I did a, an interview with a Korean newspaper who wanted to write about my journey from Korea to the U.S. and consulting and entertainment. So I did that interview and my co-founder, Anes, uh, read about me through the newspaper. And then she reached out to me asking uh, I read about your journey. I uh, want to talk more about that. Um, I write about women's uh, stories and she's actually a writer. She's written about women empowerment stories and leadership. So I was like, oh, she seems interesting. Why not? So I met with my co-founder one day uh, while I was at Disney and we just kind of like talked about life. You know, we were both Korean American women living here, left Korea about 10, 15 years ago. And then after dinner conversation, she uh, started talking about how much irritation and troubles, you know, she's had with the pads and tampons she's using in the U.S. And uh, she asked me whether I knew what ingredients, you know, these products are made of. And uh, it was embarrassing because I couldn't really answer that question because I've been using these products for over 20 years of my life, but never really questioned what these products were made of. Never bothered to look at the ingredient list, just assumed that everything was made with natural ingredients, but it was not true. So it was a very enlightening moment that all oh, these products are really essential products for women. I use them every month and we just never question what these are made of and are not even interested in really learning more about that. So that was really eye-opening to me. But then uh, at the same time, we started talking about our Korean experience where uh, whenever we go to Korea to visit, we bring a lot of Korean pads to the U.S. because we cannot find, you know, the same type of high quality products here in the U.S. So there's something about Korean feminine care being very high quality, high performing, super comfortable. So we started talking about, yeah, I mean, we should come up with more healthier, safer choices for women. And then at the same time, introduce something from Korea that is really game changing, you know, for the U.S. consumer. So that's how we started talking about it and came up with the idea. How long was it from the time that you started talking about the idea to actually forming a business partnership and starting to execute on the business? It took quite a few months, you know. I mean, I was still, you know, working at Disney. My co-founders were more 
focused on getting this concept right. And uh, the first thing that we had to do was to find a manufacturer, you know, who would work for us. And that took some time because we had to do a lot of research to understand, you know, who the manufacturers were because, you know, we didn't grow up in that industry. So we had to do everything from scratch. And then once we identify, you know, who we wanted to work with, then we had to convince them that we could be a real business, not just like, a couple of women, you know, trying to do something new. So I think that part, you know, took a while, a few months and also working with them to really get the specs and the, you know, R&D process right and, and all of it. But I think after a year, you know, we had a product to sell and, you know, we had all the plans, you know, for distribution, not distribution, but launching and, and branding and all of it. So it was really exciting when that really happened. Were the three of you working on this on the side of your full-time jobs or were some of you focused full-time when you were first starting? Everybody was part-time at the beginning, but Anes, you know, my co-founder, she was a mom uh, who's a writer. So, you know, she was more focused on it at the beginning. And then I was kind of juggling two different jobs. Uh, probably Disney's not happy to hear that. But on the weekend, I would spend a lot of time with my co-founders, you know, talking about this. And then when the timing was right, then I left to Disney and then purely focused on Rael. Many of our entrepreneurs are starting businesses with co-founders. And as someone who has had a co-founder, Courtney, who's not on the recording today, but we have been in business together for over a decade. We've been best friends and business partners for over 10 years and know that there it takes a lot to make a business partnership work. Can you tell me more about your relationship with your co-founders, how you make it all work, and any learning lessons that you can share for having a great business partnership, especially when there's you have three people, not two? <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I feel really lucky because my co-founders and I, we have very different backgrounds. So, you know, I am the one with kind of like the business background, operation experience, you know, sales experience. And Anes, my co-founder, she comes from a writing background. So she has a lot of creative ideas, you know, so she has been contributing with a lot of new ideas. And then Pinna, my other co-founder, she comes from a design background and she actually has an architecture background too. So she's our CPO at the moment, uh, overseeing all the product development and R&D. So even from the beginning, I think we knew what we were bringing to the table. So we never really like challenge each other in a big way. We respected what each person was bringing to the table. And then uh, as time passed by, Anes, by, you know, uh, the writer co-founder, she has two kids. So she wasn't able to really focus on this as full-time position. So she's been uh, more like on the board, overseeing as a board member. And then Pina actually ended up moving to Korea. So she opened our Korea office and she's working with the manufacturers in Korea directly on the ground. And then I'm here in the U.S. overseeing the global uh, operation of the company. So we have very, I guess, uh, distinct role and responsibilities and really respect each other, which has been, uh, you know, a win for us. That's really great. Courtney and I always talk about dividing and conquering and having opposite skill sets is definitely a key learning for us in, in a business partnership. Did you write out roles and r- roles and responsibilities and descriptions of what everyone was responsible for to be sure that everyone was aligned from the beginning? I wouldn't say so. That's probably the best practice. But, you know, we were a scrappy startup company. And, you know, even though we had a job description when we hire people, this is your job. It was evolving all the time and then we couldn't control it. And, you know, I would actually warn my team members from the beginning when they were joining the company. Well, we think that this is your role for now, but because the company is growing so fast and evolving so fast. 
we hope that you're open to all the other tasks and, you know, jobs that come up. And then we're very, you know, particular about choosing the personalities. We're open to changes. We're very flexible to do all that because at a startup company, even though you write a job description one day, it's just going to change after a few months. I mean, things are a little different now as we're bigger, but I remember at the very beginning, things were evolving all the time. Oh, absolutely. I think it takes a certain type of person to work at a startup too. You have to be extremely adaptable and flexible and finding those right key first employees, especially is very important. Do you have any specific interview questions that you ask employees to potential employees to know that they're a really great fit to work at a startup? Yeah, I have a couple. So I like asking them, what was your biggest challenge in your current job or the previous job? So tell me how you overcame the challenges, you know, how you solved the problem. So I know everybody can thrive in a very positive, you know, environment, but, you know, you can really see what kind of person that is, you know, like crisis mode or when things are not great, right? So I like to hear how they overcame those challenges and what kind of mindset they had in those situations. So I like hearing that. And also I do ask a direct question, you know, um, we're a startup company, we're scrappy, a lot scrappier than your current company, probably if it's a big company. And then uh, let them know that they will need to figure things out on their own a lot. There's not perfect training, you know, here, but we're looking for those personalities who like challenges, who like to do more than what they're asked to do. And then they can actually shape their own career here. We have just so many learning and then like growth opportunities at this company. So uh, when they say, I'm really excited to hear that, you know, then this is the right person. If somebody's a little hesitant to <laughs> admit that that's what they're looking for, then there's a bit of a red flag. So those are the type of questions that I usually like, like asking. That's really great advice. Thank you for sharing that. You talked a bit about the difference between products that are created in Korea versus the products that were created in the U.S., and you were always looking for something that was better. How did you figure out how to make these, you know, perfect products and really differentiate? And, you know, what was that process like? So I think what's great is that feminine care products are not I would say like a rocket science, you know, like as a woman, we've been using it every month, five, seven days, and we know what's comfortable for us. We know what is not. So, you know, when we tested out a lot of different types of organic feminine care products, we knew that what made us feel comfortable, what kind of design, you know, makes it better than others. So I think just as a woman, as a consumer, we knew what we were looking for. And I mean, comfort is such a vague word, but after trying so many different kinds, testing a lot of different, you know, uh, designs, we knew that what worked better for us and also observancy matters a lot. And that's more based on scientific, you know, testing that we did. So after just doing a lot of samples and testing a lot of different designs and products, we knew uh, what was better than others and we knew what we were looking for. I have your website open right now. That's why I'm looking over here and pulling up everything that you offer here. Do you have a subscription? Oh, you do. You have a subscription model too. Yeah, we do. Mm -hmm. We do. Mm -hmm. Well, you definitely have one new customer right now because I am going to subscribe to this monthly. I have <laughs> every single month I'm going to the store to buy feminine care products. And I'm like, I really need something that I can subscribe to. And I really care about natural products and products that are good for you. Um, uh, several years ago when I was going through my infertility journey and then I had a very complicated pregnancy and I was looking for 
all of these natural products because I realized how important it was to pay attention to what we're putting on our body and in our body. And I, I remember I started thinking like, oh my goodness, I've just been putting these products inside of myself for years. And with, like you said, yeah. with no, with no thought. And then when you become aware of this, it's like everything you're like, oh my goodness, we need to know what we're putting on our bodies and in our bodies. So I will be, um, oh, I have a coupon code that just popped up here. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we're done recording, you have a new customer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, exactly what you said, because you know, if you think about it, we're so keen on buying organic products. You know, we care so much about what we eat. And then, you know, even skin these days, I think everybody's looking for clean products. They look at the ingredient sure. list and care so much about that. But feminine care products were one of those which was kind of neglected by us women, yeah. unfortunately. So we're trying to do a lot of education, you know, about why this is important and then how different our products are and then the benefits of, you know, converting to organic and natural. Yes, I'm, I'm all for it. Your website is absolutely beautiful. Your branding is incredible. As your target consumer, when I look at this, I want to buy from your brand. I want to be a customer. It's just so inviting. Can you talk to me about the evolution of your brand? Is this always what your site, your you know, logo and designs looks like, or has it evolved over time? Uh it evolved quite a bit, you know, uh, to be honest, uh, when we first started the business, our products, which are very colorful now, were in pure white. And at that time, when we first, you know, came up with our branding and then packaging, we wanted to really represent the pureness, you know, the organicness, you know, of our uh, ingredients. So we thought the white packaging worked better. But then as we um, looked into retail opportunities, we learned that actually we need to come up with more colorful versions of our product that stand out on the shelf uh, that speak to the younger generation. So we have been evolving our packaging quite a bit and branding quite a bit to make them more fun and then colorful and then sophisticated. And uh, as you can see, we like to use green color a lot, which represents like being natural and then green mm -hmm. sustainable. Uh, so it has definitely evolved a lot since the beginning. Did you build your site on Shopify? We did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can tell now we're Shopify is one of our entrepreneurista partners. And so I see a lot of Shopify sites and I'm like, oh, this looks good. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I am I am signed up here now. And again, as soon as we're done with our recording, I'm going to be ordering my monthly subscription. So thank you for creating these incredible products. And I get so excited when we, you know, have these recordings and I meet new entrepreneurs with products that I didn't know about. So I, I love this. So thank you. Yeah, sure. All right. I have so many marketing questions to ask you as someone with a background in marketing, running a social media and influencer agency, Socialfly. I personally love hearing the stories of founders, how they first got the word out about their business, especially in the early days and really what you're doing now because you're several years into your business and have been able to do several rounds of funding now. So I'm sure marketing strategies have changed over the years. Can you share a bit about what your marketing strategy was like when you first launched and, and what you're up to now? So when we first started, we were very much focused on talking about why organic natural, very focused on our pad and tampon story. And then it has evolved a lot because now we carry so many different kinds of products. We carry different categories of products and that we're very focused on telling our unique story around the 
holistic cycle care. So what has changed for us is that even though we started the business really seeing the opportunity in the feminine care industry, we stepped back and thought about what we really wanted to accomplish you know, as a brand and as founders. And then it was very evident to us that as a female founders, we are here to support women. We want to empower women by giving them better, healthier products across all the things they do. And uh, we started looking at what we go through throughout the hormonal cycle. So we didn't want to just focus on that one week of the month when we are you know, actively bleeding, but throughout the four weeks and try to figure out the problems that we deal with. So the next kind of problem that we wanted to solve after patent tampons was feminine hygiene, because, you know, feminine wash and feminine wipes that are in the market contain a lot of harsh chemicals and they're not using natural ingredients. So we wanted to come up with, you know, better for you, better for the environment solutions, you know, for those. And then uh, we started thinking about what other problems we deal with. And personally, I dealt with a lot of hormonal acne and breakouts because my hormonal changes, I'm sure every woman has dealt with it, you know, like one week before my period started, I would have acne pimples around my chin, which was so frustrating. And then I think that was actually one of the reasons why I hated my period when it happened, like all these like skin issues I had. So we decided that we had uh, an opportunity to play in the skincare field by coming up with what we call the period beauty item. So we had the facial sheet mask and the pimple patches that would address hormonal acne. And then we had a great success with that. So we expanded more within the skincare space. So as you can see, you know, our product portfolio has evolved a lot. So, you know, at the beginning, we're very focused on telling our audience that we're a pad company, organic pad, organic tampon company, but it has evolved tremendously that now it's about the holistic cycle care, the holistic personal care approach that we do. And then that's what makes us also very unique in this uh, very competitive space. What were some of the marketing strategies or tactics that you used in the early days to really get the word out and convey all of this messaging that may have been new and, and shocking to a lot of people to even think, oh, I should care about what I'm putting inside my body or, you know, a pad that I'm wearing every single month? How did you market it? Yeah. So obviously, you know, PR, influencer marketing, and also, you know, the digital ads, you know, played a big role. So we like to talking to, you know, editors about what makes us unique and then the benefits of using organic and natural. Uh, and then influencers really helped us a lot too. You know, we were lucky to partner with a lot of the lifestyle wellness influencers. So not only necessarily like beauty influencers, but those who care a lot about wellness and women's wellness. And they truly believed in what we did and then was able to really smartly talk about, you know, what this uh, female founded startup company, a small company, but who's trying to disrupt the industry and market was doing. So we got a lot of help from those influencers, whether they were big or small, you know, they all really contributed to building the brand and then, you know, giving us a lot of credibility. And then also a lot of digital marketing efforts, you know, the paid media. I mean, the, the industry has changed a lot. I'm sure, you know, <laughs> after the iOS changes, so everybody's going through some change strategy at the moment. So, you know, we were more focused on Instagram initially, and obviously we've been sh uh, shifting our focus to TikTok more these days. Mm -hmm. So we're uh, testing out a lot of different content on TikTok and create organic content and also work with influencers, you know, for TikTok content. And I guess it's been exciting, you know, to have a new platform where we can test a lot of new things uh, and then have a kind of like newer focus on it. 
A lot of our entrepreneurs who might just be starting their business tend to have questions about how to really structure these deals with influencers, especially when you're just starting out and you are a new brand and we, we haven't gotten to the, the fundraise yet, which we're about to talk about, but you know, a new brand, maybe not a lot of money to be able to market your products. How did you form these partnerships with influencers? And can you share a little bit about the structure and how you partnered together and what worked for you? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like these days now we're a bit more established and we have a PR agency who helps us, you know, find these influencers. So it's been a lot more, I would say, structured. But in the early days, you know, when we were super small, we would actually just reach out to them over, you know, DMing. Uh, we're a big fan, you know, and then can we send you some products and tell us what you think? And then we can talk about the partnership opportunities. So I remember early days, we were just gifting a lot, you know, our like the influencers that our team was a big fan of. And then those who came back to us, you know, and then gave us the address. And after trying them, a lot of them actually came back, said that I tried them. I don't know. I don't know you guys, but the products are amazing. So we can work with you. And then we got into kind of the negotiation of the deal and, you know, like how many content goes up, like, you know, what we talk about and then, you know, the the price and all of that. But initially it was very scrappy. You know, we were just gifting a lot and they reached out to the influencers that we loved working with. And I have a, a funny story because uh, we worked with Gen Im early days and that's when we were like tiny company and uh, there were a few fans, you know, at the company. And uh, I ended up actually writing a handwritten card you know and then put our team like photo on it and then said like we're huge fans of you like can we please work with you and you know and then she actually came back and said that she tried the product i don't know you guys but you guys are doing something great for the for women so let's do it so we got into this deal so it was a lot of effort at the beginning you know just to get our name out there and then we chat to these uh, influencers but obviously now it's a lot more structured and then more formal like professional way of working with them Well, you definitely have to be scrappy in the beginning. Were you able to, in the beginning, especially measure the results working with influencers? Yeah, I mean, that's a challenge, I think, uh, even now, right? I mean, in a way, it's more PR where it's more for the awareness and you cannot really measure it exactly through the number of orders or, you know, the the sales lift, you know. So I think uh, still we're kind of evaluating how to do this better, but you know, it's more the likes and engagement and also the followers they bring to our platform. And then, you know, the brand awareness lift that we hope that happens, you know, through these influencers. But I think eventually, you know, we want to see more solid results, you know, influence on our sales as well. So we're still getting there. Absolutely. Well, we can set up a whole separate time to to chat all things influencer marketing. Definitely one of our, our favorite topics for sure. And we actually started something recently called Pearl Influential Capital, where we are helping influencers who are passionate about brands become investors in the brands that they're passionate about and want to talk about anyways to really turn the tables and help bring influential capital to these brands. So we've seen that really start to work with some of the brands that we've done this opportunity with. So we can definitely chat more about that. But it's something that's really exciting because as you shared, you know, these influencers helped 
helped your brand take off in the beginning by sharing content. So then when we get influencers involved as investors, now they have even more skin in the game to want to keep uh, keep sharing. So def- definitely something something new and exciting. And I think things are always changing with, with influencers and influencer marketing and really staying on the forefront, like you said, now switching to TikTok and seeing, seeing what's happening there. Because yes, TikTok is a place where you can definitely drive a lot of sales quickly and, and actually see that sales lift and return right away. I would love to hear more about your fundraising journey. I know you mentioned you started with an angel round and then your seed. And then I think you said you just closed your you just closed your series B. Congratulations. I know it is not an easy task or feat to be able to uh, fundraise. It's another full-time job on top of running your business. Can you share more about some of your learning lessons? Many of our entrepreneurs are thinking about raising for their business. Um, Some are currently in the process. So any learnings that you could share from your experience? Yeah. So we started with angel investors, but then we did our series A back in 2018. And then we just closed our series B earlier this year. So I have some experience, you know, doing that. And in the early days, it was not as easy, obviously, you know, the uh, organic feminine care market just as it is, you know, was not as well known. So when we reached out to VC investors who tend to be mostly male investors, you know, they didn't know much about the industry itself, you know, so there was a lot of education that we had had to do. And, you know, there were some challenges about like this market has been dominated by big brands, you know, as a small startup company, how do you plan on, you know, tackling those big, big, you know, brands, you know, out there already. And also just kind of getting that traction I think in the beginning was not easy but what really helped us is that um, we started our series A after we launched our products on Amazon where we started actually and then we had a great success on Amazon very fast so it's it was like three four months after we launched on Amazon where we become number one organic pad you know on the platform with a lot of five-star reviews which happened organically so we would just direct our investors to go to Amazon read the customer reviews which are authentic and then just see you know what people like about us and then they realized that you know, people were hungry for something that's organic, natural, but that worked really well, which was what we were offering at that time. So, you know, um, after reading these reviews, you know, a lot of investors truly believe that there was something about this business and our product, you know, that made us very special and then gave us an opportunity, a chance. And that's when we were just talking about getting into retail as well. So there was a lot of excitement about the possibility for us to become a lot bigger as we expand, you know, in retail. So that's how Series A happen, you know, successfully. And then most recently, you know, our notion of the holistic cycle care. Okay, so we know that we've been, you know, establishing ourselves as a organic feminine care brand, but there's so many more opportunities, you know, for us to grow with feminine hygiene and also skincare that we're starting. So I think that gave them a lot of comfort and confidence that, you know, there's a lot of growth potential with this, you know, company too. But, you know, there's some funny stories, you know, at the at the beginning, because um, we were just shocked to buy how little our investors knew about this product, you know, feminine care. And some people would ask, oh, so how many pads do women go through a day? Is it one? Is it two? Like, you know, like there were very basic questions, you know, some male investors asked and then, you know, we present, okay, so we have like five different sizes of pads, you know, starting with like petite, regular, overnight and, and then large and also it's petite, regular for like smaller size women, like large pads are for like bigger size, you know, so it was kind of 
funny to see, you know, how basic questions, you know, they would ask. And I think that helped us a lot to be very confident about our pitching because we knew what we were talking about. And that we were kind of like in a more superior position, you know, from a knowledge perspective as a woman, you know, as someone who spent so much time in this, you know, it's not like IT, like technology. So we really owned, you know, what we were pitching and having that confidence and then conviction in the pitching process, I think, helped us a lot to win. Did you look for women investors and specifically reach out to women so you weren't only pitching men or back in, you know, 2018, 2019, uh, was it just mostly men that you were getting in touch with um, at specific VC funds? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we were not necessarily looking for, you know, female investors. We were open-minded about who we work with as long as they can help us out and then, you know, believed in what we did. Um, and But it was clear, you know, when we met with uh, female uh, investors, you know, they were really excited about this just opportunity and field because, you know, um, in the VC industry, this feminine care industry was not one of their focuses, you know, until now. So people realize that it's, kind of like an untouched kind of industry and market that nobody dared to get into. So we were one of the, you know, most like brave women who try to break into this, you know, and then fight with the big brands in the market. Yeah. So I remember that a lot of female um, investors were very, very excited about what we were doing. When you started the business, did you always know that you were going to go the VC route or were you trying to, you know, bootstrap and do an angel round and have that last for as long as possible? Did you have those initial plans? My co-founders and I talked about it. And then I think we are one of those who are open, very open to actually get VC money. I mean, you know, I have an MBA. I have a lot of VC friends, you know, like a lot of my friends, you know, work in the industry. And uh, I didn't have the fear that VC would come and then like, change everything or just, you know, just like demand, you know, their strategy or anything like that. I saw them more as experienced, you know, investors who could bring value to the table. And if you work with the right investors, then they would, um, they would just help us elevate and then do a better job. So we were pretty open-minded from the beginning. And then it was not like we had a lot of money of our own. So we knew that we needed to bring money from outside. So we're quite open about that. For those who are thinking about starting a brand that requires manufacturing, production, product, how much money does someone really need to be able to start a business like yours? It depends on the product category. So to be honest, uh, feminine care is not as easy because uh, the MOQ, the minimum quantity that you have to order from these factories is pretty high. So compared to skincare, actually, these days, I think... Um, uh, country manufacturers, you know, get, can go as low as like 5,000 units, you know, uh, 10,000 unit, I think is more the norm. Uh, those, the amount that you have to order is pretty small for skincare that it doesn't require, I think, more than like $100,000, you know, to start a business, you know, for skincare. But unfortunately, with feminine care, the MOQ is so much higher that you have to have quite a bit of capital to get into this business. How much did you end up raising as an angel round for your first round? I mean, pre-Series A, we raised um, a little over $2 million. Yeah. And then starting Series A, we um, raised $17.5 million, which was a significant amount. It's it's incredible. You know, we, we talk to a lot of VCs on this podcast, a lot of founders who 
are currently raising, have raised, and it's not easy. And especially right now with, you know, the way the market and the economy is, you're, you know, hearing all the stories about how challenging it is right now, and especially for women. So you should, of course, be so proud of of all you've accomplished, not just raising, but building this incredible business. And yeah, congratulations. I know, no, it's not easy. Many of our entrepreneurs are always looking for advice and recommendations on how to get their products into the big box retailers. Can you share a little bit about your journey getting into Target and Walmart? What worked for you? What didn't work for you? And any learning lessons you can share? Yeah, sure. So we knew from the early days that we wanted to be an omnichannel brand. So we're very keen on working with you know Target and Walmart and also the drugstores. In 2018, I had my first meeting with Target. So this is pre-COVID. So we actually flew out to Minneapolis, met with the buyer in person, uh, showed the product in person, which was really nice. And my advice actually to um, startup entrepreneurs would be... Um, Broker is uh, usually uh, needed for a small company to reach out to these uh, big retailers. I think there's some lucky maybe brands who get a call from Walmart and Target and they're invited and they can work directly together. But I think 95% of the time uh, you need a broker to get in touch with the buyer and then set up a meeting and then have the initial talk and then you know you can really lead from there so that's what we did you know we had a really great broker and then he set up a meeting with the buyer at target and then we flew out there pitched and then showed our products uh, it went really well because um, at that time, we already had some traction uh, from digital platforms and also Amazon, uh, number one. So they were reading also reviews from Amazon and had the confidence that our products were very special and then unique. But, you know, it was interesting that they didn't love our packaging. So I think I told you early on that uh, we had a white packaging when we first started, which looked very pure, organic. And then we switched over to more colorful packaging. And it was actually the target buyer's advice to change the packaging. They were like, I love your products. Branding is great, but this white packaging may not work the best on target shelves. Like, are you open Mm. to changing that? And of course, as a small company, we said we were very flexible. And then we actually worked with the buyer to come to, to, to get, get to a packaging that works really well for target aisle. So I think that was one of the success factors for us. You know, we got the feedback from the buyer and then made something together with her. So it was more like a collaboration. And then we got to a point where, you know, everybody on Target's team really loved, you know, this colorful packaging. So we launched with them and then, you know, continued to make, you know, some enhancements after that. So that's how we got into Target initially. And then with all the other big uh, retailers, um, again, we um, looked for the best broker that we wanted to partner with. So we had uh, a number of companies that we sort of interviewed, you know, to find the best broker who could represent us. And then, you know, we would do a strategy session with the broker because they have a lot of knowledge and then uh, they have gone through a lot of pitches, you know, to know what the buyers want. So you get a lot of insights from the broker and then you come up with a strategy, you come up with a pitching deck, and then you, if you're lucky, you get a a line review with these buyers to present your product and then strategies. So we got lucky that we had meetings with them and then presented our product sent to samples to buyers. And 
And even though, you know, if, even though you have a broker, it's not that the broker presents on behalf of you. You know, you are the presenter. I had to go to all these pitch meetings, you know, to present the company, to present the product with my sales team. So the brokers are there to share their insights and then make the connections. But at the end of the day, it's the founder, it's the sales team of the company that presents to these, you know, buyers of the re- retailers. So that has been the process. We're still going through the process because we're still pitching a lot, but uh, it's exciting, you know, to meet with these buyers to present, you know, your product. And, you know, uh, when you're lucky, then, you know, you talk about how to get in. And then uh, it's not as easy operationally to work with these big retailers, but it's complete. It's totally worth it. Can you share typically how brokers work, like how the deals are structured with a broker? Um, so I believe there's like a range, you know, so brokers usually take a percentage of the sales uh, you make with each retailer. So between four to six percent, I believe they take, you know, from your sales. Are there typically upfront fees when you're working with a broker? Or it's strictly commission. No, mainly it's a commission base. So they work for you until you get in and then they start making money after you get in and start making sales at retailers. So good to know. Thank you for sharing that. And how did you get the referrals or recommendations for the brokers to interview? Where do you recommend that people find the best brokers if they're looking to get into retail? So I depended on my VC investors early on. So I bothered our uh, investors to figure out who their portfolio companies, you know, are working with. So I got a bunch of recommendations, you know, through our investors and then their portfolio companies. And then, you know, did a lot of interviews. And it was interesting because, you know, there were some bigger companies, more established brokers that we spoke to, but it was clear that they were working with a lot bigger brands than us. So we kind of knew that they were not going to be able to dedicate too much of their time to us. And we actually ended up going with uh, a rather smaller boutique shop because um, we knew that they would spend a lot of time on us and then really value us as a, as a client. So um, I guess uh, as you interview a lot of different brokers, you kind of, you know, get the sense like who you want to go with and then what you're looking for. You get that gut feeling and you always have, have to go with that. And then one more follow-up question about Target. When they asked you to change all of your packaging, before you agreed to do that, did you have a signed deal with them or letter of intent that they were going to move forward once the packaging was changed? We did not. <laughs> so now I, I talk about it. It could have been a big risk, but the deal didn't work that way that we had a deal before we changed that. We were changing it and then collaborating with the buyer, assuming that that was going to get us in. All right. This is our fun segment we love to do on the podcast. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Yes. Okay. That's a little scary. (laughs) Oh, I promise you, you'll know all the answers. It's just about you. Okay. All right. right. Describe yourself in three words. Hardworking, fun, committed. What is your favorite product that you make? Organic cotton pads. Favorite go-to healthy snack? Like sweet potato chips. Favorite business tool or solution that's helped you grow your business? Slack, NetSuite. (laughs) (laughs) Love that one. (laughs) What is the app on your phone that you can't live without? Slack. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Slack all day long. And I know. Yeah. It sounds a little too boring, but that's my life. No, I, I totally get it. We're big Slack fans using Slack over at Entrepreneurista all day long. And finally, do you have a hidden talent or something that our audience would be surprised to find out about you? <laughs> I'm a singer. I was actually part of a band until like four or five years ago, just, you know, just casually singing, performing here and there. But unfortunately, I'm too busy now that I can't do it anymore. But I want to go back to it at some point when I'm not too busy. Oh, I love that. So uh, you're talking to someone with a musical theater background. That's why I told you I love Disney and I'm all about about musical theater and singing. So is that why you loved the entertainment industry when you were younger? Yeah, I was really into like K-pop and music and also, you know, all the content, you know, how they influence, you know, people and then uh, also like the mental kind of effects of all these. So, yeah, that was one of the reasons why I was really into it when I was younger. All right. Well, now we're back to our, our regular questions here. What would you say you're most grateful for every day? Definitely for my health, my family's health and all the great people that I have met, you know, who helped me out, who inspired me and then who worked for me. So people definitely. And finally, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I think it's being vulnerable and being able to really like come out of your comfort zone to do something amazing, like with your superpower. Because I was one of those who thought, you know, who never become an entrepreneur. I thought I was just going to become a corporate executive. But I once heard um, Bruna Brown actually talking about being vulnerable. And that inspired me so much that, you know, that gave me a lot of courage to actually start my business and then get into this. And uh, I think being an entrepreneur is constantly just being out of your comfort zone and then having to feel vulnerable and scared, but you overcome it by really like pushing yourself and then the accomplishment, you know, the it's like so rewarding. Uh, so I think it's that process that you go through. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. There's nothing more rewarding at the end of the day, for sure. Yanghee, thank you so much for sharing your journey and story and all of these incredible learning lessons with our entrepreneurista community. Where can everyone find you and follow you? And of course, buy your products. So I'm on LinkedIn. So you guys can find me Yanghee Paik on LinkedIn. And our website is getrial.com. Our social media handle is get underscore Rael. So we're on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. So please find us there. Actually, uh, from a retail perspective, we're in many stores. You know, we're on Amazon, Target, Walmart, CVS, Walgreens. So, and then hope to expand even further. So hopefully you guys can find us uh, everywhere you go. Well, we will definitely be linking out to your socials and website in the show notes below for all of our listeners so we can all start subscribing. And I told you I'm going on to buy right after right after this recording. So (laughs) thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneurista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entrepreneurista's. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entrepreneurista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm -hmm.